Thanks for listening to the show. Join us online at playvolutionhq.com and learn how to support the show at explorationsearlylearning.com slash support. Cue the accordion. I've always wanted to say that. Kick back and get comfy while hosts Heather Wenig and her co-hosts from the Early Childhood Nerd Collective explore ways to cause and effect. Dig that funky accordion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cause and Effect. This is Heather Burnt, and with me today is Ben Planton, who hasn't been on for lots of months. Like you were one of the originals, original co-hosts, and then you disappeared. Planning, planning gets hard sometimes. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. So tell them about yourself, Ben. Um, I am the my my day job is that I'm the infant toddler outcome specialist with early learning Indiana. Uh, I've been infant toddler teacher for seven years. I was an assistant center director. Um, Non-day job early childhood related stuff is I'm on the NAYC Affiliate Advisory Council. Um, And I'm incredibly excited about a lot of stuff going on in the field, power of the profession, and it's it's a good time. What do you do as the affiliate? What are you, an affiliate what-what? It's it's the National Association for the Education of Young Children's Affiliate Advisory Council. Ah, yes. And what do you do? What does that mean? Uh, I, I sit on a council, and whenever <laughs> NACI is working on new projects that will affect membership or the state affiliates uh-huh. or the regional affiliates uh, that they have all throughout the country, uh, they kind of come to us and say, like, hey, this is what we're thinking. Do you have any feedback, ideas? Will you help, like, edit, beta uh-huh. test? Cool. Um, yep. All right. I keep meaning to ask you that, and then I don't. <laughs> so now everyone knows. Now, now everyone, knows. everyone was wondering, probably. So last last week, it won't be last week by the time people are listening to this, but last week in real time was the state NACI conference here in Indiana. Ben and I are both in Indiana. Was it just last weekend? Um, not like yesterday. Not like, like yesterday, weekend but the weekend before. before. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So anyway, um, we spent some time hanging out and talking about what we were hearing at the conference. And um, Ben had uh, heard something that was really interesting. So this is a little bit of a departure from the way the podcast usually goes. It's not a quote that's coming from a book. Um, but this is something that came from one of the sessions Ben went to that we decided we wanted to talk about some more. So I'm going to let you, Ben, just kind of give some whatever background you feel like we need, and then you can tell us what the quote is, and then we'll go. Okay. This quote actually came from someone I know up in uh, northern Indiana, and it was just kind of like dropped so casually. (laughs) 
And it, it took me a minute to like process, like, wait, what, what did you just say? And the quote kind of went like this. Well, in terms of child abuse, I guess timeouts are kind of on the low end of the scale. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I'm writing it down. Hold on. I'm paraphrasing it a little bit, yeah. but it was... So, you know, like, so was the conversation about behavior guidance specifically or like where did that come from uh we were talking about working with infants and toddlers Uh specifically and we were talking kind of about about like best practice and how working with infants and toddlers requires a certain level of patience and understanding that redirection and helping children learn about what they're doing and help them understand what they're doing uh-huh. um, is you know, kind of what you have to do with infants and toddlers. Mm-hmm. Sending them to the corner or into like time out isn't just, we, we have to remind ourselves that like, it, it seems like such an easy option. It seems like uh-huh. an easy thing to do. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's never something that I, I've personally subscribed to, but like, this was the first time that I ever actually heard someone just flat out refer to it in the context of child abuse. Yeah. So, so I want to, I want to get to that eventually, but um, I want to just talk about, I guess, maybe timeout in general for a little bit, mm-hmm. if that's all right. So you've, you've not ever used timeout. I never used timeout. Practice? Yeah. Um, well, I have, <laughs> but I started um, a good bit before you did probably. When, um, and, and I just hadn't thought about it. Like I got a job in a childcare center. I came from a family that spanked. Um, I have never spanked my own children, but I spanked my younger siblings when I was the teenage older sister running the show. Um, so, so when I came into working with two year olds was my first real group where I, um, I mean, I kind of started with three year olds, but two year olds was my first lead teacher position, I guess. And what I did most of my classroom work was to toddlers. And, um, and timeout was just what we did. And it just seemed for me coming from spanking and, mm-hmm. and the real abuse that I did see in my house growing up, uh, timeout seemed very gentle and safe. Mild. Mild, mild. <laughs> yes. And, <laughs> And, uh, you know, culturally, I think we just have this idea that we can't just let kids get away with stuff. And there Mm -hmm. has to be, you know, justice. And I would say revenge for a lot of people is their idea when they're thinking about kids can't just get away with it. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a two-year-old pee on me because I was holding her on my lap in timeout because she wouldn't stay by herself. Um, Which is just ridiculous now to think about. Like, what did I think was happening as I held them in timeout. So, but it took some, it took some time and it took some other folks to challenge my thinking before I came away from that. And now it seems like, you know, now I see, you know, that doesn't teach them anything. It's just a quick response for the adults to feel like they're doing something, mm-hmm. but it's a, it, it's a kinder something. <laughs> so I don't know. Have you, have you seen timeout used? If you haven't used it yourself or, 
I haven't used it myself. Um, I had the, the joy and the luck of starting my early childhood process in some amazing places. But it's always been a topic of conversation. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when I went through like getting my CDA, I, I, there's this one conversation from one of my CDA classes that still sticks out in my mind. Because we were talking in class about like how timeout doesn't work and why we don't use it. And one of the people in my class was like, oh, we don't use timeouts. You know, we use quietly sitting by yourself in the, like, quiet corner for <laughs> as many minutes as, they like, the old. child is old. Yeah. It was like, and I still really regret the teacher not being like, oh, so you do use time yes. out. Yeah. Me being, like, I was, like, so shocked because this person had just, like, defined time out. Uh-huh. But said we don't use timeouts because we just simply call it uh-huh. like so, enforced quiet time, or like you know table quiet time. time. Yeah, yeah, uh, um, yeah. So we just kind of use euphemisms and dance around yeah. it, but it's the same thing. How many other things do we do that on? I mean, I, this is a, a good example. Um, that we see it a lot in our profession of just people who don't know what basic best practice is. Uh-huh. Have, what, what other things? It's one of those, it was kind of like so jarring to me yeah. because I know there's other things that we do that aren't considered best practice. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah, I, no, I know I know what you're saying and I got sort of sidetracked trying to think of other examples, but um, it's, it's hard for folks to let go of. And I see lately a lot of... Um, well, I mean, I know you and I have had this conversation before whenever something about spanking gets posted on Facebook mm-hmm. and how quick people are and how hard they will fight to defend their right to hit a child in yeah. the name of discipline. And I would I would go as far as saying that discipline has become a euphemism for something that it's not intended to be. Like discipline should be teaching, but we, yes. we use it instead of punishment. And, and and it's like the woman who was in your CDA class. We we t- she, we talk about how we've moved away from punishment, and we're discipliners now. But our mindset is still: when a child makes a mistake, what can we do to make them feel really sad? <laughs> Which is awful, and is right. child abuse. Yes, and that's where that comes in. Yeah, making people feel sad for something that they didn't know they were doing that was wrong, mm-hmm. or that. That is kind of like punishing people for doing things that they don't know is wrong is mm-hmm. is abuse, whether it's a a child or another adult. Yeah. Um we, we shouldn't ever in our lives, let alone in childcare <laughs> and in early child education, be trying to make people sad. Yes. We should be trying to fill people with life and joy and you know, a love of learning <laughs> and exploration. Yep. Yeah, I remember a long time ago, I was the, uh, I ran a youth program. So it was school agers and teenagers rather than early childhood. But um, I was having one of my first big staff meetings and we were trying to move away from a punishment mindset with those kids. Um, Because one of the people who worked for me came to me and said about a 10 year old who did have present some challenging stuff for us. Um, I don't think he should go on the field trip today because he's not fit for society. Ooh. <laughs> I was like, he's 
Ten. Ten. Let's so talk. You're... Let's talk the school to prison pipeline for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in staff meeting, we were talking about changing our mindset, and I remember that same person saying, "Well, when I was a kid, my parents used timeout, and that was like the worst thing they could have done. I was devastated. So I think that it works." <laughs> and I was like, "There's a lot to unpack in that." <laughs> It was devastating, so you think that it works. I just, I, but but it's 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 so cultural mm-hmm. that it's hard to uh, get away from. Yeah, it's been such a large piece of our culture for so long. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you look at a lot of different pieces about like how how does our culture use power? Mm-hmm. How does our culture view? relationships between people who have power and don't have power. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the unpacking there could probably be, you know, a couple of years worth of therapy. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Like I think, uh, I, I, you know, and it became obvious that we were never going to see eye to eye. She really hates me still. <laughs> um, but so I want to go back to a, to a, a part of the conversation a minute ago. Um, because you talked a little bit about uh, intention, like Mm -hmm. why are we causing them to feel bad for something they didn't know was wrong? And I think the argument there sometimes is, well, of course they know it's wrong. Even if it's an infant or, you know, like a toddler, my cat's knocking stuff off the counter now. My cat's being distracting just by being really cute and sitting in my lap. Oh no, this one's annoying. It's all the beer pong cups on the (laughs) counter from the weekend (laughs) i played for the first time in my life on saturday sorry that was an aside anyway (laughs) i hear people saying things like well they look right at me before they do it so i know they're doing it on purpose or i know i know that but but knowing the right thing to do and having the willpower to do it are two different things and you ask any adult who's tried to quit smoking or change their eating or exercise more or mm-hmm. break any sort of unhealthy habit or, or, or process in their lives. So why do we hold a two-year-old to such a higher standard? Yeah, a two-year-old whose ourselves? brain is nowhere near as developed as ours. Right. I mean, they don't have nearly as much self-control and self-regulation as right. we do. Right. And yet, yeah, that's a great point that we we have a hard time <laughs> making ourselves do things yeah. or making ourselves stop do things that we know are destructive or not, you know, mm-hmm. the best thing for us. Right. And we can come up with all kinds of justifications for our own difficulties. Mm-hmm. But we aren't always willing to give children that same courtesy, maybe I'll call it, that same right to to talk about why or to validate what happened in any way, mm-hmm. well, because they tricky, and a lot of in a lot of circumstances they can't yet. They don't right. know. They're not. They don't have that piece right. to be able to. So we should be able to do that for them, if we really are understanding child development and looking for best practice. Then we should be able to look at that behavior and say, "Oh, well, here are some reasons that maybe mm-hmm. it's difficult," and and that's the direction we go instead of thinking, "Okay, what's on our." What's on our recipe card when this happens? What do we do? <laughs> uh, that's well, I, I love tying things back all the mm-hmm. time to developmentally appropriate practice. Yeah. 
And I mean, here, here's a good example of kind of like a higher level end of making sure that what you're doing is individually appropriate. Mm-hmm. Are you responding to every behavior from each child, even if like several children do the same thing, are you responding to it as they're an individual? Are you mentally? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. We do talk a lot about how consistency is needed, but we need to be taking each individual child's personality, background, everything into consideration. When right. we think about like, why is that child doing it? How do we respond? Right. It goes, and I've, this has come up in a couple different episodes, but the phrase fair is not always equal. Mm-hmm. The same, you know, consistency doesn't necessarily mean every child experiences the same thing for the same behavior. Consistency can be, they can rely on me to look at what's really happening and respond. Does that make, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I think, I think sometimes we get so caught up in figuring out what the words mean that we. That we get lost, but for me, consistency is is more that than that the same thing happens in every situation. Yeah, con- consistency is knowing that you will respond and you'll be there and you'll be caring and right. you'll be supportive. Right. Yeah. Not that you're going to handle every single biting incident the exact same way right. every time, like right. down to like every word. Because <laughs> if best practice says that. We look for the reason behind the behavior and address the reason, which I think is what best practice says mm-hmm. we should do. The reason for each bite is different sometimes, you know, so so we're going to have a different response. It's not going to be every time they bite somebody, we put them in the feelings corner for two minutes because they are two years old <clears throat> or send them to the book area. That's the other one. God, why do we make the book area the punishment place? <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that, but I've been seeing that for as long as I've been in the field. <laughs> uh, um, okay, so let's let's talk a little bit then about why timeout can be harmful. Why why does it fall into that category of abuse? Because I know there are people who really struggle with that still. Um, because it seems like it makes perfect sense to our adult brain. They need time to settle down and think about and process, but that's not how children's brains are working yet. So, well, I mean, even as an adult, imagine if you went into work and you did something in work at work that you weren't supposed to do, and your boss was like, "Go sit in that broom closet <laughs> for half an hour because you're thirty. Like, give me your phone. You can't have that. Yep. You can't have anything else. Go sit in that dark broom closet for half an hour. Yep. Think about think about what you did. Like, what's your reaction going to be? Is right. it going to actually be to be like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I did that? Or is it going to be like, what the right. hell is going on? Why, why am I? Yes. It's not going to have a positive outcome yeah. for you as an adult. And I guarantee the word disrespect comes out. (laughs) Sorry. Why on earth do we think it's going to work for children? Yeah. It it doesn't work for anyone. Yeah. It's just not a process that is positive or meaningful or has a positive outcome. There There was an Onion article that someone shared with me. 
And if you don't know, The Onion is like a satirical news site kind of thing. I know you know, Ben, but some people might might not have ever heard of it. Um, but someone shared it with me a long time ago, and it was about a three-year-old who'd been sent to time out, and he spent the whole time plotting revenge instead of thinking about what he should have been, or, you know, thinking about. And I just remember the very last line of the article was, I may have been innocent when they sent me in here, but I'm sure not now or something. Yeah, I think I've seen that. So exactly. True. It was true. That's yep. probably what they're doing. I had a, in one of my first classes of two-year-olds, I had a little guy who was, his mom was from Turkey. Dad was from the States. Um, mom only spoke Turkish. Dad only spoke English. I don't know why that's important other than he sort of thought all women speak Turkish for a while. So that's what he would speak with. But I I put him in timeout a lot, apparently. I can't remember why or anything, but there was like even a little nook built into the wall that was just perfect for timeout. And so that's where I'd send him. And he would spend his whole timeout pointing and yelling at me in Turkish. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm pretty sure he was cursing me, but I don't know. But that's the tone. The tone was definitely sweary. <laughs> but you had no idea what was but going on. I had on. no idea what was coming out, but he sure wasn't spending time thinking about what he'd done and how he was going to be better when he came out and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah. But I think there's some, uh, I don't think, I know that there's some psychological damage that can come from timeout, from isolation and from being sort of shunned and sent out of relationship mm-hmm. for that time that I think we don't give enough weight to. Well, yeah. When we look at the science behind child development, those particularly in the early years, I mean, mm-hmm. and by the early years, I mean zero to eight, <laughs> it, it's all about relationships and attachment and security and timeout provides none of those. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no, Having a child sit by themselves in a corner is not building a relationship with them. Yeah. It's not helping them learn anything or understand anything. Um, yeah, we, we need to be building a relationship. We need to be working with them, talking with them, yeah. not shutting them down. Yeah, exactly. Or sending them the message that they're only acceptable to us when they're good, in quotes. Yeah. Like, when you're not good, I don't want to have anything to do with you. But when you meet my invisible standards, <laughs> my, these mysterious <laughs> yep. list of qu- qualifications for good, then then I will be in relationship with you. And I think that's that will wear on a person's psyche regardless of your age. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think too about uh, so I'm doing I'm doing some writing work now um, on theorists, childcare theorists, and theorists and and how it can tie into the day-to-day real work that we're doing so for this conversation i'm thinking a lot about eric erickson in those first two stages to Mm -hmm. to figure out trust versus mistrust and autonomy versus is it self-doubt autonomy versus fear and self-doubt or is that the next one anyway important things but if if one of the main tasks of a toddler or an infant even, because I've seen people try this with mobile infants who are like pulling hair and climbing on people um, and aren't necessarily trying to be aggressive, but are seen as aggressive. Um, 
If their task is to learn whether or not they can trust the people around them to meet their needs and help them as they need help, and they have this big need that has led them to whatever challenging behavior, biting, hitting, running, whatever, what they're learning when we put them in isolation and turn our back on them is that they can't trust us to help mm-hmm. them through those difficult times. And and then we're setting them up to just sort of struggle with trust on and on. Um, I think that ties into attachment too. Would you talk, and I didn't prepare you for this at all, but would you talk a little bit about attachment and what you mean when you use the word attachment? Because I think that causes some confusion too. It's more than just the kids like you and are happy to see you. No, it's a a respectful (laughs) two way relationship between two, any two people. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's again, we as a culture have an issue with power dynamics. Yes between who has power, who doesn't. Um, In my view, attachment is a relationship built on respect where there are inevitably going to be power dynamics, but like you, you don't let those get in the way of having a true deep, meaningful, I can't say the word respect enough. Yeah. Um, but so respect is a word that triggers me because so often what people mean is blind obedience when they're talking no. about respect in terms yeah. of, respect. of children. But you're talking respect about respect is actually the exact opposite yeah. of blind obedience. It's <laughs> getting to know who a person is, what they like, what they want, what they're doing, where they are. It's getting to know a, a, a person and as a whole and then relating to them with that understanding Mm -hmm. and even infants and toddlers are full people with all those individual aspects. And so being respectful of them is taking the time and energy to actually get to really know them as a person and trying to steer all of your interactions based around that, like that knowledge and Uh being respectful of them being who they are. Uh So we use, um, the creative curriculum in the centers that I work with. That's our chosen curriculum that licensing says you have to have, you know. So when I do orientation for new hires, we, we talk a lot about um, temperaments as part of our creative curriculum introduction. Um, you know, the slow to warm up, all that stuff. Um, trying to think what they are even now. Uh, energy level and sensory level and... Th- just temperament. So, so when we're talking about that, then I have to make sure that I say to people, so the goal in getting to know what a child's temperament might be is not to change their temperament to one that's more convenient for you. Mm -hmm. It's to be able to relate to them in a way that's respectful of who they are as a person and will be effective and, uh, and acknowledges Meaningful. meaningful and acknowledges the right to have that temperament. And um, for some people, that's really difficult because they feel like, no, I need to teach them to be easier. No, that's not our job. (laughs) And you'll hate your job if you think that's your job. You will be burned out fast. It's it's kind of a cultural thing right now for people to throw around the word like toxic. Yes. I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever actually heard anyone use the term like toxic educator or like toxic education, but like. But we should be. Maybe we should be. 
Um, <clears throat> hey, Ben, because... let's write an article about toxic educators. <laughs> File that okay. away. Put a pin in it. Yep. Okay, anyway. But yes, you're right. Why should we do that? Why should we talk about that? Because there's a lot of damage being done. Um, because people don't understand the basics of child development and attachment and mm-hmm. being actually respectful. Again, mm-hmm. not not blind obedience. Right. Not demanding being, respect. Not demanding respect. Being respectful. But being respectful and that going both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Oh. So let's There's so much work we have to do in this in in our field. I know, yeah. And it I don't know that that anybody goes into this with the intention of being a toxic educator. <laughs> you know, it's, I don't think that I'm, what you're saying is that we have a lot of evil people running around in early childhood programs. Mm-hmm. But we do have some folks who are not challenging themselves or thinking critically about their practice or reflecting about their practice. Well, we have a lot of folks who are going into education because they want to, I mean, they're they're coming in for a a very valid reason, which is they want to help children. Yeah. However, the way they want to help children isn't meeting mutually. It's not, meeting in that kind of two-way respectful mm-hmm. linear it's they want to help children by telling children what they should be doing right it's top it's top down yeah it's not and both it's, ways. it's based on assumptions that we bring in about what teaching looks like or what children yeah. need and not always based on well let's really do the work and see what children need and base our practice on that. Um, because, and I think uh, Tiffany and I talk about this a lot on other episodes, and I think Travis too. Um, people a lot of times bring in playing school and feeling like they need to do teachery things instead of just understanding that I'm a human at this level with this, these skills and they're humans at this level with whatever skills we see that they have. And we just need to find a way to make it all fit and help guide them. It's not power. We need to take power out of it is the short yes. way answer. Cause that really wasn't going where I thought it was going when I started talking. But it, <laughs> It's true. I mean, we, we need to take the, I mean, we, we need to take the concept of a teacher being the person who has all the power in the classroom mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And when you look at, rearranging your classroom environment you it should be for the children in your classroom you shouldn't just change it all around because you want to because you're bored because you're bored or because like or even necessarily because like just because like oh we're having a lot of biting we need to change the environment like yeah you probably should change the environment but there's a lot more that has to go on there is like all right Mm -hmm. because you have to know the reasons behind the biting yeah. You have to know the individual children behind, you know, it, it's, it's a lot more of a process Yeah, than and, we generally make it out to be. And I think we don't always realize that we're part of the environment. And if you're going to talk about changing the environment, you might have to talk mm-hmm. about changing yourself a little bit. Yep. 
um, because we get, but that's, you know, I can tell you that that's a lot of what we're talking about in terms of what we shouldn't be doing is what's being taught in early childhood courses. Like they, they go for that easy fix, the change the environment or modify the child rather than mm-hmm. talking about actual child development. I, oh, go it, ahead. It is easier. Yeah, I mean, definitely it, easier. If you're the one with all the power making all the decisions, it's a lot easier to do things. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that issues of helping children with behavior and... I sort of a, a couple of years ago, I read some a couple of books that Dan Gartrell had writ, has written, mm-hmm. where he uh, challenges people to stop talking about challenging behavior and instead say behavior that challenges us or behavior that is challenging uh-huh. to us. And because I'm a word person, that is really effective for me to just change the words I use, and then it helps me change my thought process. But I think that that area of Behavior that challenges us is the hardest place for adults to let go of that power and that idea that I'm the teacher, so I have to come out on top of this. I can't just let him win. I can't just let her get away with this. And I feel like they mm-hmm. they think if there's not immediate change when a behavior is challenging, they feel like a failure. And we need to sort of redefine what success looks like when we're helping children with behaviors. It's, it's not that there's never a misbehavior. Success yeah. should be that we understand it developmentally, and that's the approach we take. And we see that it helps the child, and that's success. But because challenging behavior, behavior that challenges us, sorry, I did it already. Uh, uh, oh, now I lost where I was going because I was all tied up with my words. You better say something, Ben. I can't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, it's hard to remember. Um, so you're, you're talking about, like, Dan Gartel's idea that yeah. we need to be thinking about why is their behavior challenging us. Right. I think a yeah. lot of that goes back to perspective. Uh-huh. Like, power, power and perspective are similar things. And, again, like, if if the teacher is only viewing the classroom from their perspective and viewing it, their perspective as a perspective of power, Mm -hmm. then they're not doing development and labor practice. They're not doing best practice. Yeah. So would you agree that, so this is something I think about a lot. Teachers get very stressed out about behavior stuff. Mm -hmm. And part of it is because they measure success as it never happening anymore. But it's all development, and there's going to be mistakes in development, and it's going to happen. And that's so stressful to go through your days that way, feeling like you you should be controlling this, but for some reason you can't control it, and you're just frustrated all the time. But if you shift your thinking to looking for the reason behind the behavior and addressing that, and just helping a child through a problem that they're having, it's more effort in the moment than just sending a child to timeout, but your job becomes easier, I think, because your stress run, level yeah. is down and it actually has an effect on the way the classroom is functioning because you've made that shift. Yeah. Well, and it helps the, the child in the long run, right. which, which is our when goal. You're, which is our goal. <laughs> well, and 
I mean, it go, that, that ends up going both ways, too, where mm-hmm. if you actually are taking the time to calmly respond in a meaningful manner to a child who's doing something that is challenging you, <laughs> and you help them through it, you might have to do that one, two, five, six, ten times. Yeah. But in a month, that child's not doing it anymore. Yeah. The other child in the classroom saw you handle that that way. They learn from the experience. Uh-huh. Everyone's more comfortable. Everyone's more happy. Relationships are strengthened. Ends. Relationships are strengthened. Yeah. Everyone wins. Yeah. Now my cat's got himself all up in my face. I it's it, but it's a hard sell. Um, for some reason, when I try to have that conversation, that it, it seems like more work in the short term, but it's going to make the job easier in the long term. For some reason, that's tough for them to see. Um, and so the other thing that happens, I think, then is once you ch- take this approach and you change your thinking and you approach those behaviors in, a, in this different way, there will be, what's it called, an extinction burst. I think we were talking about this at the uh, at the pub night at the conference. Maybe you weren't part of that conversation. But the, the child has a behavior that's been successfully meeting their need for a while, and you're working to help them change their behavior. They're going to intensify that behavior that has been working for them for a while, and you're going to feel like, well, this is just getting worse, so I'm going to stop and mm-hmm. go back to my old way of doing things when in fact what you should be doing is staying with that new approach because you'll get through that burst if you stay with it. But we get, you know, a few days in, the behavior has intensified and we assume that means it's failing. Yeah. It's, when it's often it's it. not. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had a little girl in a classroom who was biting on a daily basis. Uh, parents were getting stressed, kids were getting stressed, we were getting stressed. Mm-hmm. And it took looking at what was happening, not before the child bit, because uh-huh. that was just kind of like everywhere. Uh-huh. It was what was happening after the child bit. My co-teacher took that child aside and sat with them uh-huh. and talked with them. And the, the girl who was doing the biting was just like, yay! Right. And so... It took, like, noticing, like, I mean, there was kind of a cue beforehand, Uh but, like, switching who worked with the child after the biting incident, Uh and then getting my co-teacher to, like, just be a little bit more aware of, like, you just need to make sure that you just, like, like, acknowledging that girl, Uh meeting that need, which was building a better relationship Uh with you, and that attachment with you. Uh Uh-huh. Just like if you just like make sure you take a moment every before the biting has happened. <laughs> just like every 10, 15 minutes, just be like hi and wave. Uh-huh. Like the biting stopped. Yeah. So we were we we figured the need, we figured what the like why it was happening. Uh-huh. Which, which I guess is the need, but then yeah. like how to how to fix it when the girl was getting what she needed independently and when. What was what? Why she was biting, which was to get attention. Uh-huh. Like, oh, if I bite, I don't get any attention from that <laughs> that teacher anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I just I always feel like I need to say 
whenever the com- whenever the I'm having a conversation and we're talking about meeting the need. So in this instance, the need was that one-on-one attention. Now ah, I see your cat; she's very cute. Um, that one-on-one attention, that time alone together with that teacher, that's her need. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had conversations with teachers where we're talking along this line, and I say, so you just need to meet that need at other times. Mm-hmm. And and they'll say, but why why would won't that seem like a reward or like a special treatment or but we're in this business to meet children's needs. Why on earth would we not meet a need once we saw there was that need? You know what well, I mean? Like, again, go back and think about like you as an adult. Yeah. Like if you are in a relationship with someone, do you only want them telling you that like you're attractive or they love you after you've done something like wrong? <laughs> or do you just want that like... Whenever they happen to like, have it, the feeling. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it needs to be intrinsic. It needs to be part of an actual loving, respectful relationship. Right. right. And we, we need to get away from ascribing malicious intent mm-hmm. to a child who uses a behavior to get a need met. You know what? That's the tool they have. So that's the tool they go to. It doesn't mean that they're sitting around thinking about how to conquer you. Or that there are, you know, this manipulative evil genius who knows how to get what they want. Yeah. It's not Pinky in the Brain. <laughs> it's not. And while I like Pinky in the Brain. Reference. Yeah. Someone will get it. Someone will understand. Curtis will listen to this. He'll know what it is. Yeah. All right. So any last thoughts about timeout as child abuse? <laughs> to bring it back to the beginning again. Stop doing it. Stop doing it. Don't don't just call it something else right. and pretend you're not actually still doing it. Be honest about what's really happening. That's a big no. piece of it, too. Um, you know, I'll even say send us a message if you want to get away from timeout and don't know how. Ben and I will talk to you about it. <laughs> just pop if you're in Indiana, we'll... We, I could even come out. And that's see right. You. That's right. Ben will do a house call if you're in Indiana. Um, I'll probably just talk to you online <laughs> <laughs> rather than doing a house call. All right. Well, thank you, Ben. This was good. Um, I've been wanting to talk about that quote since you since you shared it with us at the at lunch or whenever it was last week. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah. So thanks everybody for listening to another episode. I do want to just end by saying we're getting ready to change the name of the podcast. It's going to just be called that early childhood nerd rather than cause and effect. So when you see that change, know that it's the same podcast, same people, same concept, just a different name and a different picture. Um, and thanks for listening. Bye, Ben. Goodbye. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.